Corinth was a wicked city throughout the Roman Empire for known for its sexual immorality. And by the way, this morning, understand this is a group of many ages here, and I'll try to be um, uh, as explicit as I can be and as not as explicit as I shouldn't be, if that makes sense. In A.D. 51, God in his mercy sent the life-giving gospel by the Apostle Paul to the darkness and death that you can find and read about in Acts chapter 18. And Paul worked to trade in the marketplace, making tents, and there he met a Jewish couple named Aquila and Priscilla, who became part of Paul's team. We're not sure if they came to Christ during that time, or if they were already believers before that time. I tend to believe that um, they, they weren't um, part of uh, God's family until Paul met them. But every Saturday after that, then Paul would go into the synagogue and he would try to persuade those there of the good news that Jesus was the promised Messiah whose descendant was David the king and he was the rightful heir to the throne of David. And he came as one from Abraham's line to bless all the nations of the world. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived the perfect life. He died under unjust hands on the cross and he became alive from the tomb that they buried him in. He was seen of many witnesses. He ascended to heaven to reign forever. And he offers forgiveness for sin and new life in him through faith and repentance until he comes back to judge the earth and make things right when you set up his reign on this earth. That's what you see in Paul's uh, synagogue messages. People listened for a while. He was there every Sabbath. But then a building resentment began to grow in Acts chapter 18. And then many opposed Paul's message. And then he went to those who were not Jewish. And many Corinthians, the Bible says in Acts 18, many Corinthians heard the gospel message and believed and were baptized and went from their wickedness to new life by God's grace and pardon. And then Paul instructed them in the way of Christ and the apostles for a year and a half, 18 months, there as a new church in Corinth. That was AD 51. Two years later, AD 53, Paul heard that some of the members of the church were engaging in sexual immorality and they were justifying it by saying that they were a new spiritual person, but their bodies were not that important. Their spirits were, and it didn't matter as much what they did with their bodies. And a thousand temple pagan prostitutes were at their disposal in Corinth. And so these believers, who had grown up in this city, uh, uh, probably many of them Gentiles, reasoned because in their minds their bodies were not important, and they had desires and urges, they should be able to act on those because the body wasn't that important. After all, they were forgiven, and it wasn't hurting anyone, they thought, and it was their body to do what they wanted to do with Because when they were hungry, they would eat food. Uh, When they were thirsty, they would drink. When they were tired, they would, of course, sleep. And when they had sexual desires, they should take care of satisfying those too, right? And Paul hears about this. And Paul responds. And the Holy Spirit, who loves his church, answered back through a letter that Paul writes, that's recorded in our Bibles, 1 Corinthians here, that they were a sacred dwelling place of God to display the light of His glory, and it was their very bodies, their physical bodies, that housed the Creator of the universe, and the One who redeemed them, and the One who, remember, had brought them from light from, from darkness to light. 
who brought them life in their spiritual death. And they were joined to Him and not to sexual immorality in our passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 15-20. And with the allure today of sexual immorality all around us, beckoning in many forms to indulge in impurity and fornication through our eye gates, even our emotions and our bodies, our devotion to Christ as His bride is certainly under attack. In our marriages that are designed to be such bright signposts to the gospel are under siege. And here is clear instruction from God's word to remind us of our true identity, what really matters in light of eternity, and the joy of union with Christ to keep us separated from sin and to our God. And so that's what this passage here is teaching us. 1 Corinthians 6, I'd like you to look in verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Now this whole section is framed with verse 14. God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His own power. So this section is, is, is framed in the idea of the resurrection. You understand that one day there will be a resurrection of the body. Of the body. You see, God doesn't look at our bodies as horrible things. God looks at our bodies in, in, uh, as, as things that were formed by Him. With all the other parts of creation, God spoke, right? And, and it existed. With our bodies, God took His own hands from the dust of the ground and formed us. Our bodies are sacred. We need to understand that. Not to demean our, our physical bodies. And so verse 15 tells us this first point here. That Christians' bodies are extensions of Christ. Are extensions of Christ. Perhaps you've never thought about that. This physical body, the aches and pains, the tears, the sneezes, all of that is an extension of Jesus Christ. In other words, because of the good news of Jesus Christ and what He has purchased us for, all of us, because He will one day resurrect our bodies with our spirits, we're not just going to be immaterial souls in heaven, we'll be real bodies able to touch and think and smell and taste, even on another level that we've never even known in this fallen world. He's going to unite our souls with our bodies again in the resurrection. Our bodies and all that they are, our muscles, our organs, our ligaments, our chemicals, our skin, our hair, our nails, our arteries, our veins, our bones, are part of the living Christ. Verse 15 says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Remember the song that you may have learned as a child in Sunday school? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see, right? Careful little ears what you hear, feet where you go. Why? Because the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful little eyes or whatever um, part of your body. Um, what you see or hear or speak or whatever it is. This text says it goes deeper than that. It's not that we just have a God who sees everything we do. This text tells us that... It, it is not just in a detached way that God sees what we do, but our eyes are His eyes. In other words, Jesus cares so deeply about us, and He has brought such purpose and life to us, that our bodies, verse 15 says, are joined to Him. And He is involved in every part of our being. 
And His presence never leaves us, but it is fleshed out, is incarnated, not just in our thoughts or ideas or invisible things, but our physical actions and shoveling dirt and shaking the hand and an encouraging smile and scrubbing the bathtub or opening a door, speaking words or carrying the groceries in and so on. In other words, you and I, our physical bodies, filled with a Spirit, are the incarnation of Jesus in this world. Does that give meaning to our bodies then? Does it give dignity to our bodies? And it is standing on this truth that Paul is absolutely flabbergasted in the Corinthian church that sexual immorality in whatever form, through whatever gate, would be practiced. Look at what he says at the end of verse 15. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one, is one spirit. What Paul is saying is this. One pastor puts it this way. Shall I then take the sexuality that God has given me and join it to a prostitute? Shall I take the eyes of Christ and the brain of Christ and make them members of porn? Shall I take any member of my body, which Christ now claims is dear and precious to Himself, as if my body were His very own body? Because it is. And use my body for any sinful purpose at all? Never, is what Paul is saying here. And so, if our poor bodies could somehow speak for themselves, they would plead with us from the perspective of Jesus, don't take me there. Don't do that with me. I belong to Jesus now. He cares about me, even if you don't at this moment. He values me, even if you would abuse me. Have mercy on me and don't do such horrible things with me. In fact, don't even think of me. Think of Jesus and treat me as a part of Him because I am. And Ray Ortland said, Here then is how our standards of sexual behavior are elevated and preserved. The love of Jesus reaching out and embracing us all that we are as genuine members of His holiness. You might ask yourselves, but why are Christians' bodies extensions of Jesus? Well, verses 16 and 17 answers that question. What? Know ye not that he which is joined in harlot is one body? For two saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit. Paul will quote our Genesis 2.24 the two shall be one flesh. And Jesus, remember, added in Matthew 19 last week, what God has joined together, male and female, one man, one woman, in covenant relationship, let not man divide. He quotes our Genesis 2.24 as a standard again, just as Jesus did for marriage. And he reminds us that this standard held high honors of a lawful joining together and therefore condemns unlawful joining together. Lawful sexual joining is the two. Man and woman joining in marriage, covenant commitment to each other, and therefore unlawful is anything that is not that. Anything outside of that boundary. And verse 17 tells us there are three levels of joining. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. They're mentioned in 16 and 17. And here they are. The first joining is what Paul says in this passage of one body. One body. And what does he mean by that? This is the one that is wrong. 
because it is outside of marriage. And the one body there is what he refers to in verse 16. Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body. That's all it is. That's the limits of it. And it is wrong because it is outside of marriage. In other words, the one body joining, Paul says, is sexual sin. It is incompatible with God's design shown as word. But there is another joining. And these, these other two joinings are acceptable in God's eyes. The second is one flesh. One flesh. The end of verse 16. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. And Paul's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, again in verse 24. This was the definition, God's definition of marriage. Of marriage. This one is good. Because it is God's design for marriage. The two shall become one flesh. A man and a woman unite in marriage, the covenant to each other for life, and they are meeting God's design for human flourishing and for His glory for this world. But there is a level here, maybe, that some of us haven't thought beyond. And that is why Paul says in verse 17, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. This third. This is our marriage to Jesus. Our joining to Jesus. Our union to Christ. And this is what our earthly relationship of marriage, which is good, is all pointing toward and pointing to. This is the forever reality that marriage is a parable of, an illustration of, a signpost pointing to. And so if you work back from what Paul is saying here, starting with being joined to Jesus, what he's saying is this. Jesus' followers are held in the firm, forever embrace of the Son of God. And nothing can change that relationship. By one Spirit, we are joined to the Lord. And then human marriage is a picture of that. And God's love and commitment to us and ours to Him. And then anything outside of that, that one body joining, which is all that it is, is sin and a violation, an enemy of these truths, and it must be fought against vigorously and battle in our lives in a fallen world. So, Paul, how do we fight against this? Verse 18 through 20. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without or outside the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The third principle is this. The Christian's bodies are reserved for the glory of Christ. And this is how we fight for that. Because this is so important, this is how we fight for that. On the basis that our bodies are extensions of Jesus Christ. Our eyes are to be used as His eyes. Our hands are to be used for His purposes. And on the basis that we are wedded to Jesus, we are united to Jesus, we are to flee from anything that is at war with the reserve of God's design of one flesh relationship and marriage. On the negative side, we're to flee from that. And on the positive side, we're to live in unreserved purity. A purity that there are no limits to. Jesus doesn't say, oh, just be a little bit pure. A purity that we are to live for holy. What is the reason for this? Because 
since our bodies are the sacred dwelling place of God Himself, and sexual sin is done with our bodies, sexual sin, Paul is saying here, kind of, he's kind of like saying, okay, there's a little difference here with sexual sin, and he's explaining why here, why it's different from other sins. Sexual sin is done with our bodies. Sexual sin is a sin that assaults the very sacredness of the dwelling place of God. So Paul doesn't just say, fight fornication. He says, flee from it. Run! Like Joseph did in Potiphar's house in Genesis 39. In other words, there is an urgency here because sexual immorality, like every sin of course, is an enemy of God, but in a way that not every sin is, that Paul says. Because it affects the body that is to be the temple of God. That's what he's saying in verse 18 and 19. In other words, sexual immorality, simply described in verse um, 16 as one body flesh, one body union, it violates the one spirit union of Jesus Christ because the Spirit of God is really present in our bodies. He really is. It's not just some metaphor or some, oh, sounds like a nice truth. The Holy Spirit of God is really living inside of you. And because that truth, it is, it is urgent that we understand that our bodies have been purchased, Paul says, at an extreme price. The blood of His Son. And when we engage in immorality, we are decorating the temple of God into a whorehouse. And it is a serious, far-reaching sin... And it is incompatible with what it means to be a Christian because we've been purchased with a serious far-reaching grace from that to Him. Paul says this is incompatible with living the Christ life. And so the Gospel argument for all integrity in this area of sexuality, both for married people and unmarried people, here, draws from the unfolding drama here in Scripture from Genesis 2.24, the Garden of Eden, all through the fallen civilizations that man has lived through, the sewers of this present evil age till now, where God through Christ has come down to make our bodies into sacred temples until the glorious resurrection at the end time. God will raise us up by His power. Remember verse 14 there. And there is nothing legalistic and there is nothing ho-hum or petty and narrow about what the Bible says about this. This is a command from God we are to obey by His power. And what helps us right now is that He doesn't just tell us flee immorality, but He gives us the good news of what God has made us to be. This amazing reality that you and I are filled with the glory of God. Not just in our personalities, but in our bodies as well. That's why in Romans chapter 12 He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable in God, which is your reasonable service. That's why in Romans chapter 6, he talks about the members of our body that are now under a new master. 
And the beauty of it is this, that God has made each of us into a sacred temple where Jesus is to be worshipped and served, and Jesus worship, uh, the worship of Jesus and the service of Jesus is to be displayed through our bodies. What we do. Not just this detached from physical actions and from application. Not just this idea here of, uh, 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 oh, this is a nice idea here, but it never hits, the rubber never meets the road. But in the very things that we do with our physical bodies, our members. And friends, it cost him to remake us in this wonderful way. Look what he says. For ye are bought with a price. You know the, the unfolding plan of redemption in Scripture. You know what that price was. The very lifeblood of the Son of God. Therefore we are no longer our own. We belong to Him now. He's our Master. Now, here's another way to think about it. Um, I'm not known for careful driving, apparently, I've been told. You can look at my little car and see that I backed into my own vehicle one time. Parked. Um, But if I were to borrow a friend's car... I would drive it very carefully. Why? I don't want to damage the property of a friend and have to return it to him and say, hey, these crinkles in there are from me. I don't want to damage the property of a friend and return it to him banged up. Friends, our bodies are not my property. Our bodies are the property of the Creator, and not just the Creator, but the one who purchased us, a Redeemer. And the only way we could say, who does he think he is telling me me what to do with my body? The only way we could say that is by not belonging to him at all. But did he shed his own blood, in a physical body by the way, did he shed his own blood to cover our sins? Has he given his Holy Spirit to make us new? And if so, if that is true in your life, then you should glorify Him even in what makes you a physical person. And especially in this topic of sexuality today. Look at this passage here. I, want you to, I, 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 want, I don't want you to miss this here. Notice what Paul is not saying in this passage. He is not saying, if you will glorify God in your body then He will wash your sins away in the blood of Jesus who will dwell you by your Spirit and He will raise you bodily on the final day. What's wrong with that? That's earning what God's given us. No. This is gospel. This is good news. What he, the Word of God is saying to us here is, I have covered your sins. I have made you the covenant people of God, the new covenant people of God, the church. I, I have covered your sins with the blood of Jesus. My Spirit indwells you right now. And there will be a day in the future when I will raise you bodily into total glory. Therefore, on the basis of what I have done, work out of that. Glorify me in your body right now, moment by moment. Now some of you are hearing this passage and saying, well, joining to a harlot isn't my problem. You might say, I haven't engaged in this. Friends, all of us have violated God's holy law. 
And did you know that every action begins as a wrong thought, wrong thinking? And that Jesus, in His Sermon on the Mount, says to entertain wrong thinking about these issues and stoke the fires of lust is no different in God's eyes than committing the act. And so my question for you is, are you letting the smut of this age seep into the mind of the temple of God and your eyes, your ears, and other thoughts pollute the temple of God? Are you trying to make the Son of God who died for your sin and loves you somehow coexist together with the sins that He took on the cross for you? The very things that He died for, the very things that killed Him. And for anyone in any stage of sexual immorality, whether it's their thoughts, uh, their entertainment, their fantasies, their acts, the judgment of God always falls upon sin. It does not go unpunished. God loves and protects what He has created too much to let, these, uh, to let sin and violation pollute it. And He loves His children who He has purchased by His blood too much to allow them to continue in their sin. That's why, why earlier in the passage, verse 9-11, through 11, says this, Know ye not? I mean, He's saying, this is, isn't this common fact? That the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate or homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Of course, that is not an exhaustive list of sin in this world, is it? There's a separation that exists. There is not an inheriting of the kingdom of God because of sin. But the good news is verse 11 here. Paul says to this Corinthian church that he had, by God's grace in the gospel, had begun in AD 51, and now he's writing this letter two years later and saying, what are you guys missing here? He can say in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you all are washed, you all are sanctified, but you all are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, God and His Son Jesus has paid the penalty of sin. We are all in the same boat. We will not see the kingdom of God in this state of sin, but God has offered pardon and forgiveness and a clean record and a new life in His name now and for eternity. And there is forgiveness and power at the cross, but that gift is only received when you humble yourself in repentance by faith in His Word and take it. God does not tolerate sin. God has made a way through us, through the Son, who washes. Whatever stage you are at in this topic here this morning, God, through His power, God, through His Spirit, will give you power to say no to it and yes to Jesus through the power of the cross. No other way. There's no other way. Because He has died to crucify those sins, and He has risen to give you new life with Him. And Christian, you are the very dwelling place of God. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to Jesus. Your body is an extension of Jesus Christ. Your body is married to Jesus Christ, united, joined to Jesus Christ. Your body is reserved for the glory of Christ. I exist 
not to make much of me, but to make much of Christ. So therefore, this text tells us to flee immorality and the enemies of marriage and glorify God with this body. This body. 